0: This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey, Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio.
1: Good morning and welcome you with Reality Check Radio. This is Marie and you are with Counterculture. My first guest this morning is Martin Langford and Martin is the candidate for Democracy New Zealand here in Napier, which is my home electorate. Now, Martin, how does one go from being a dentist to a political candidate? That's a journey.
0: It certainly is. It's um, And it's been a very, very recent one. Um, I haven't been political my whole life, really, until the last three years when I started to get frustrated. I think frustration was the first, first feeling and sitting in my dental chair and being told from above what we could and couldn't do and what was going to happen. And then that slowly started to turn to sort of to anger. It's like sitting there, not being able to, to actually make any changes, and thinking things have to have to change. Um, I think it was the uh, Labour weekend when the announcements were made about people were going to be the lockdowns, or not the lockdowns. It was the um, the mandates when those were were actually brought in. Um, that really started to sort of rattle my cage and start me get a bit worried. Um, and then we went down to the protests. And I'd never been a protester. I wasn't. Uh, that's not not part of my um, my my being. But I really felt strongly that something was 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 rotten, and and people needed to change. And uh, we went down there, and it was after that that then um, I'd heard about Matt King and how his his thoughts, his philosophy, it, it really did start to, to to resonate with the way I was feeling. I'd looked at other parties. I was. There's a nice term out at the moment, isn't it? Politically homeless. I was certainly politically homeless. And I went to see some other a party leader to give a spiel, a spiel down in um, in Napier, and I was horrified by his um, his uh, his attitudes. He was very very childish, um, not a not a, not a pleasant person. So I thought I can't do this. I can't go with that party. I can't go with any of the parties that that, that I've voted for in the past. And then Matt um, had made that bold bold move, um, and decided he was going to go and and create his own party. And when I started looking into that, I thought, gosh, this this is just what we've been thinking, and um, it resonated and that's when i contacted and said and made the offer and said you know i am willing to to actually give up my pushy life sitting in a dental practice being um, insulated and i'm prepared to to put my money where the mouth is and, and do something um, and it was from then on it's just been a, a a bit of a roller coaster enjoyable very exciting um and it, you wake up and i actually feel i'm doing the right things you wake up in the morning ready to to, to do more, to do work, to, to, to read up, to 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 study up about what's going on and, and what we can do.
1: That political homelessness is certainly something that many of us have been feeling. The protesting, it was funny you mentioned that about being sort of something that you'd never done before. That was one of the things that I discovered was how many people felt that they weren't being heard. Now that you're going out and you've started the campaign, are you getting that sense that people are finally relieved that their voices are, could be heard
0: it really is it's 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 very pleasant meeting people and their reaction They're, um warm friendly um just saying oh thank goodness thank you for doing it the, the thank yous you get you know, for for doing it the appreciation and it's like well i'm i'm you know standing for for this uh, for, for this position and they just say, well thank you so much for doing that thank you for doing that for us and it's like wow um my wife and I, for, for some time, we'd come back from, from working and I'd say to her, is it you or is it me? Are we just missing something? Are we mad? Because so many people, even friends, close friends, weren't seeing problems. They were saying, oh, you've just got to, you've got to f- trust the government, trust the science, uh, follow follow what you're being told. And we're just saying, no, it doesn't make sense. This is not, not what we're, we're used to. This is not right. Uh, We've been looking at information coming in from abroad. And it's so nice now to know that other people out there who were feeling the same way um, and it wasn't just, we weren't just isolated. And now they they talk to me and say, oh, so thank goodness you're standing up um, and, and saying things that we felt that we were, we were too, not that quite scared, probably could be the word, too scared to say. Um, and it, it's a really good feeling to know that you're, you, you want to be on the right side of history and you're actually making a difference to people's lives because they actually feel, they feel happy that their voices are being heard.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it is a stretch. I mean, let's be honest, it is a stretch that you will win Mm -hmm. the seat for Napier. But I mean, if you can't believe that you can do it, why stand? However, do you believe that if you aren't successful in the candidacy, that you can do a lot of good work by at least, you know, talking one-on-one to people and actually seeing what's going on in our community?
0: Absolutely. And we've got, we've got a fallback plan. You know, if it's not this time, which, I mean, if the stars align, I mean, we're in a very, very um, strange political situation at the moment where there is there is a, a, a groundswell of people who want to to look at a different option. They don't want to vote left. They don't want to vote right because they're so similar. Um, but if if I don't um, achieve it this time, I've then got three years. I will be working um, absolutely as hard as I can to work for the next election. So that we're, we've got so our businesses up for sale. I mean, this is how serious it is now so we've literally um this weekend finished off some details it's actually going up for sale this week so that i've then got more time to actually concentrate one on this campaign but two i've got three years where i'll be working part-time if need need be um working you know the practices and looking to work like that so i'll actually have the time to actually concentrate on the next election and back the party be a voice for democracy new zealand in Napier and get out to meet people and push for the next election. So if it's not now, it'll be the next election.
1: Mm, so a really good long-term plan. That's really important. I think people know that. And let's face it, Stuart Nash only, I mean, he had what two full cycles before the vote was split in 2014 that he became a candidate. So that perseverance and getting your name out there is certainly something that is Important, and it allows people, I guess, enough time allows voters enough time to get to know you, which is yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, you, I want to touch on something that you said before with people that you've been talking to. I have a theory that a lot of the cultural and malaise that we have in our society at the moment is due to the conformity of comfort. We will do anything to maintain a certain level of comfort, and the conformity that I think a lot of Kiwis showed particularly since those mandates were announced, personally staggered me. Are you now finding that a lot of those that were quite happy to go along with things back then are now starting the the veil of that comfort is beginning to be pierced with things that are happening in the political landscape?
0: Yes, I mean, we've we've noticed a change in um, conversation with with close friend groups that we've we've been with, uh, whereas at the beginning, we definitely kept quiet we didn't talk about our um the problems that we were, were having or the, you know the doubts that we had and it's, that it wasn't right and we and for to keep things comfortable we didn't say anything and they when we were having discussions were definitely oh well this is the way and everything's going in the right direction well give that i'm trying to think it must be 12 months because i think it was 12 months when we actually went to a, a next meeting of the same friends and and that had changed that they were they were having the same comment making the same comments as we were coming up with the same um problems and it's like it's taken till now but they were actually far happier to say talking about that and then when i actually uh, announced to them that i was the um the democracy candidate they were more than supportive and it's just like wow so here you go we've, we've turned from people who were di- you know stuck um in in the same attitudes actually you know smiles on their faces and happy and say oh well, good on you well done um a lot of it's like i hope that's sincere or good luck well good luck with that And that's the sort of comment that comes across and i know that um andrew austin has, has put me a sort of moniker of long shot langford you know his comment was you know langford the long shot candidate for napier and it's like well i'm, I'm quite happy coming from a bit of an underdog situation or being the underdog there's less pressure and i can get out there and get our message it, across. Yeah,
1: it's quite rich, though, coming because I mean, Napier does have a history of voting for candidates that are outside of the normal political sphere. I mean, you just need to look back to Garth McVicar for that. And I mean, whilst he didn't win, he certainly garnered a huge amount of the, the vote on the night. So let's talk about the cyclone, because that, from a local candidacy point of view, is, I think, going to be a pivotal issue. Yeah. You have been getting out and having a really good look at what's going on. So what are some of your observations?
0: Uh, well, what, what a mess. Um, what a mess it's, it still is. Uh, we, we were away at the time. We were up in, in Whangaparoa, and so we saw the cyclone come down through Auckland, watching as the water's raised around us in the house we were staying in, in contact with Napier, and it was just starting to spit rain down in Napier. And then we went, Marie, um, my wife wasn't sleeping and she was in contact uh, with our family back in Napier when all hell broke loose. And it's like, and she was watching the the levels rise in the, on the TV in Auckland. And we'd got the warnings up in Auckland saying, you know, the stock banks, it's getting close to the stock banks. And she actually contacted our daughter back in Napier to say, look, get out, check the animals because the animals are outside. Check what's going on because there could be trouble we then um then there was sporadic contact because obviously the comms went down we were uh, our flight was um cancelled to come back from auckland and then we got that flight um rearranged and came back in and we came over the um esk valley and it was just brown um shocking to look down normally you see the the, the greenery and the and the colors down there and this this brown smudges right across the, the Hawke's bay areas we flew in but then we got into the airport, got our lift back to where we're living, and we're in this complete bubble where there was no damage. Everything was just, we could have lived our life from Napier Airport through Napier um, Central, out to Green Meadows and Tarradale, without going too far, no, no problems. And to know that a couple of kilometers up the road, the bridge had gone down at EIT. To know if we'd gone left from the airport and gone to Esk, Esk Valley, what a complete and utter you know devastation was down there. So, when we brought Matt King down, we've we've been in contact with people out at Esk Valley and, and Bayview, and they arranged a tour. To, they got permission for us to go around and see some of the, the houses and to, to take views inside. That that is just such a complete mess still, um, and how those houses, the people, how the people survived when you see the devastation and the and the and the, tr- the terrible trouble that was there. Uh, we went out. To Swamp Road just recently to um to buy some items from, from a wood wood firm out there. And he was telling us his story about he was out there, he's up to his knees in water, and then that suddenly rose to his waist in water. He's trying to sort of salvage what he could. And he felt a log go past him. He felt something swish past him because he's in murky water, it's starting to swirl around him. And he and he goes, Well, there, but for the grace of God, if that had stabbed him in the leg, caught him in the leg, trapped him, you know, swept him off his feet. He said he'd have gone because the, the the force of water at that point. So it's what went on was just absolutely abominable. Um, and how people, you know, unfortunately there were loss of lives, but how that figure is not multiplied, um, it's, it's amazing. It really is amazing how people survived. He told us about the parents of his friend who went to go and save their children, to go and pick them up, and their family went across the bridge up at Pukitapu got to the property, picked up the people, turned around to go back, suddenly found the bridge had collapsed. So they'd literally minutes before come across the bridge and they're just like, wow, you know, that that could have been them on the bridge. They had no idea what was going on. Um, And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear the stories of people who are just fed up. They're getting to the end of their tether, they've been out of their houses they've been relying on insurance which isn't always forthcoming they've got the promise that there may be money but the insurance companies are are, some of them are being quite um, reticent and giving people the the funds they need they can see the end of the money supply they haven't got any savings left They've, they've had to leave their properties and they're despairing and they need to know where there's an end point when they're going to be able to do what they want to do whether they can rebuild whether it's worthwhile even cleaning up the houses are they going to be moved on? And it's the not knowing that is really starting to test people now.
1: Mm, there is certainly an anger out there. I know that with ones I've spoken to that have been displaced, there is that unknown quotient. Which after what, two and over two months now, is starting three, to wear. three months. So it's February yeah. March.
0: Um, February. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, for February Fe- Valentine's Day. That's how I remember. Well, that's
0: that's the one you've got to. Yep. Yep. Yeah,
1: and it's so it is wearing thin and. And it's also a double-edged sword because you've got this great unknown. There has been tremendous generosity shown by New Zealanders and Hawke's Bay locals, which has been amazing. But a lot of that generosity, particularly with money raised, is not reaching where it needs to be Mm -hmm. sought. And then the flip side of that, as you said, is that bubble in town where it is very much life is normal for those in town, except Those businesses, whether it be in Havelock, North Hastings or Napier, are struggling because, of course, people are staying away thinking that the devastation that they're seeing is region-wide when, as you and I both know, it's very, very, it's exceptionally acute in a number of small pockets. So it's how do you balance um, the needs of those who have been affected via the needs of those that are still being affected secondary Mm -hmm. or tertiary uh, with the, the ongoing effects. What are the things that you think need to be occurring now from central government that just simply aren't
0: decision making. The the buildings have been yellow and red stickered, but that doesn't necessarily mean the red sticker doesn't necessarily mean that they will not be um able to rebuild. That that I think that is more that you cannot enter the building, do not come, you know, come onto the property. But they need to know there needs to be a decision given to them. Is it worthwhile? tidying up cleaning up the sections and any cleanup that they do or are they just going to be told no this is now land that will not be built on um to give people that that clarity what are they working at what have they got to do do they waste their money um cleaning there was uh, we, we went out to to packify and the helpers out there um it, it, it was the continuation of Zeb's crew um to Martha's crew I think now and they're cleaning with buckets in a house that is um it reeks it's this long i mean this was a couple of weeks we weren't in and it's so it's you're looking at two and a half months down the line they are still pulling buckets of silt out of the bath from the bathroom in the dark um and trying to clean this house and you look at it and you go well if it it was my house you'd probably have to say no it's got to go because it's it's not going to be um, it's livable. It's, it's rotten, the the, the floor plates have gone, they've got to still pull up the floorboards and pull the silt from underneath it. There's still silt, as I said, in the body of the house. So a lot of people are, are volunteering, they're coming in, they're spending their time, they're not working in a healthy environment, they're putting themselves at risk. To what end? If somebody from government, be it local or, or central, can get in there and say, waste the time, just do not waste your time on this house any longer, but they're given the thread of hope. They're saying, well, we've been told if we clean the silt out, if we clean it, then there's a chance that the house is salvageable. But someone's got to give them a point, say, this is beyond repair. Stop now. Use your use your your your, your physical um, efforts elsewhere, because that, that's going to be appreciated. This is just a waste of time. Um, and I think that's where we're at at the moment, that people just are still trying to help, still trying to be helpful. But they're getting angry. One of the ladies there was, she said, where are all the helpers? We had the offers of a bunch of people from, a, I think it was a, a club, who were going to come and help. They never turned up. So it was about eight people in hazmat suits running around trying to get the silt out. And it's been day after day, um, but getting nowhere. And the house is a mess. And But there's nobody from the council comes around to say, well, don't waste your time because we're going to red. This is this is not salvageable. But nobody's making those hard decisions for, for these people.
1: No, there seems to be, and particularly with the councils, I think, Obviously, they've got infrastructure issues, and I wonder whether or not their focus is is laid there. But as you said, there are still individuals out there. And uh, I think it was Paul Painter from Yummy Apples. We spoke to him, Paul Brennan spoke to him last week, and he was also talking about the knock-on effect for not only just people's homes. Uh, in their personal space, but also the orchards like parkify for mm-hmm. listeners that aren't aware is uh, pretty much, is, is, isn't it? It's a road that's a, um, homes and businesses. There's a lot of orchards down there. Uh, one of the oldest orchards down there is actually a family orchard with business partners of mine. And uh, and I asked them, I said, you know, what's going to happen? She goes, look, they don't even know whether they're going to replant. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And replanting takes... Um, so you're looking at from by the time you plant to getting return on investment four years if the seasons are good.
0: That's right. But, yep.
1: And then you, but you've but you got to wait for the nursery that propagates all of these trees was also wiped out. So you're looking at a two-year lag for seed trees to go in. So that's six years. The government's saying in their package, we'll go 50-50. But who's going to fund the other 50%? Mm -hmm. I mean, these guys are leveraged up to their eyeballs. This flood came in just prior to harvest. Absolutely. And that's on the back of two harvests that were many of these growers had to drop apples on the ground because they couldn't have REC workers in due to COVID restrictions. So it's almost like I feel for an industry, for us in the Bay, this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. Have you sensed that at all from people you've spoken to?
0: Ah, oh, there is certainly despondency. Um, there was, there was hope. We went out originally out to Swamp Road. That was the first place we helped. And that what they wanted was to clear the roots around as many of their trees as they could. There were some they said just don't even bother going down that section. That's it's just too deep. It's we've lost it. And there were the ones which were higher ground, and you you could get a shovel. It was probably getting up to about what's that 10, 10 centimeters ten to twelve centimeters deep silt that you were shoveling out to try and get a perimeter around the the trunk of each of the trees. Um, that they, they were hopeful. Uh, they were thinking that they could save some of of, of their of their assets. <laughs> Goodness knows now. I mean, it, it really is time there to go back in, and I, I really should um, take the opportunity to go back in and, and revisit and see how they're getting on um, down the line now, and what what has been achieved, and whether we did manage to save any of those trees. Mm. But as you said, though, it's it's that it's that knock on effect, and I don't think the people in New Zealand realise that that the fruit bowl that we we, we were has been so badly damaged and it's not a case of next year it'll be fine as you said it's it's this understanding that is it's a delayed planting waiting for maturity getting a first crop in um and it yeah it's 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 just been the perfect storm you know started with the the lockdowns which meant that they didn't get their proper cropping before then the perfect storm of of, of coming through um the fact that civil defense didn't get the warnings that that that's more for evacuating people you're not going to be saving the land but everything just seemed to go wrong, at the, went wrong at the right time to create a terrible situation.
1: Mm. Other issues outside of the cyclone, specifically to Napier, what are some of the things that you see that Napier is unique to Napier, that as a candidate or an MP that you would need to, to address. So let's look at crime. Um, I know that the little dairy that is uh, down the road from where I live. And in fact, is just around the corner from your dental practice has been ram raided three times in six months. I mean, locals are starting to get quite fed up. Is there any sort of response? Have you had a chance to catch up with anyone in regards to policing around crime in the local area?
0: no no I, i've sort of uh not 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 had that opportunity i i did um go to the meetings where stuart nash was there who's saying well and also the um the, the district commander both of them saying well you know it's not really changed um there isn't really a spike in crime and, and things aren't that bad but then you go and talk to the shopkeepers i, was, I went into the city center we've spoken to um one of the uh, the owners there where they moved the planters from outside of his business Next thing you know, there's a, there's a ram raid. He's smashed in. They have moved the planters back. But you're having to, it's common sense. Don't remove something that's an obstacle to a guy whose business has been damaged several times. We went into Pyramide, where there's another um, bakery that had been attacked. And I said to him, well, well it doesn't seem, you know, you've got the bollards there. That's stopping your ram raiding. And he said, well, it wasn't a ram raid. He said, this was a machete and a club. They, they smashed through my doors and, and you know, broke in that way so we're looking at, at, at people who are using you know really quite violent um and and people saying you know um or, or being told by the authorities that it's not that bad whereas the people on the street are saying you know the repeated break-ins the repeated i mean now the latest one is, is car tire slashings that's um people are reporting um so it's 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 frustrated. The people are frustrated, and I think they get frustrated when they're told that there isn't a problem. Mm. So, well, I and and Stuart Nash, he, he used he liked to use the word perceived. If you you know if you perceive that you're in danger, then and then he got shouted down for that. It's like well, per- perception. If people are in danger, if people are being rammed, if people are being broken into, if people's private property is being attacked on the streets, that is a danger, and something does need to be done about it. Um, one of the councillors was talking to me. He said that Napier Police Station does not have cells. It was downgraded. They decided not to put cells in Napier. So if you've got somebody who's the police, are, it's being they're being stretched. They're not being aided and abetted. Um, you know they're, they're finding they they have to take people and process them over in Hastings. Um,
1: so they're not so they're not even holding um, remand or anything. In Napier, in Napier, so everything is processed in Hastings.
0: That's what I was told. He said that there's no, there are no facilities there to no hold. No holding anymore. cells in Napier no anymore. No holding cells in Napier anymore.
1: Wow. You know, and so, okay, so this is me with my Napier resident hat on, and I am sure that what we're encountering in Napier, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, why are we talking about Napier? But I think a lot of these issues are can be felt uh, around the country. So I don't think what we're experiencing in Napier is isolated. Now, what the cyclone has taught us is that you can't, it's very, very easy to be cut off from oh, yes. a neighbouring city, region, suburb or area. So, you know, Napier and Hastings were completely cut off from each other, not for just days, but for essentially, outside of their most essential workers, weeks yes. with Bridges out, so we now have no longer have a hospital in Napier. We now no longer have the ability to um, retain and hold violent offenders yeah. in Napier.
0: Yep. Um, Surely
1: these must be priorities for things that we need to return back to our city.
0: Well, that it's certainly got to be looked into. I sort of mentioned in in one of my um, talks with somebody. About looking at what should be done for Napier, because it's it's always been a case of oh well that the two can share facilities. Well, it just and uh, someone at that point said, well, it's a very tenuous link between here and Hastings, and you don't you don't tend to realise that until you start thinking about the road system out of here, and you go, oh, my goodness, you know who who'd, who'd have ever envisaged that we'd lose the bridge at, at EIT and the bridge further, you know, it, absolutely um, on a on a tenuous link. And then we're left with people because people are employed in both you know commuting from hastings to work in napier and vice versa and so we're left in in a very very sticky situation when a a, a, an event like this occurs, and then you know with with wire cut off you and you know you got wire cut off as well you know we're in an area where a a little bit of a uh, something goes wrong and suddenly um we've lost all our communications and we've lost uh, the ability to actually help people. I mean, it shook me that until a couple of weeks ago, they were still helicoptering food into the, the Tutira area, you know, because Devil's Elbow had been shut down, closed down. And it's I it, suddenly had some some patients come through and they said, oh, yes, we were released last week. You know, this is a couple of weeks ago. But that was getting on for two months after the event. They were still taking delivering food to Tutira and the farmland out there. It was crazy because they couldn't get up to Wirehower and they couldn't get down to Napier.
1: Yeah, that's right, because they were completely cut off. They um both the Bailey Bridge and the Elbow, I think, pretty much got opened within a week apart. So they that's, were completely yeah. t- totally isolated. There is this is one of the issues that I have. This government has been exceptionally Gun ho at wanting to what they say save New Zealand taxpayers money by centralising as many services as possible. Surely these disasters have proven, in provincial regions like from East Coast, Tairawhiti, Wairua, mm-hmm. um, right down to the Bay, that that centralisation comes at a cost, and it's a human cost, not a financial one.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's it's all good words from them on wanting to save costs. And then you think about the money that is absolutely just wasted, absolutely uh, on using consultants. and and one of our um, candidates is actually looking into it. And he wants to receive get the information out there. so he's he's researching it. he's going to check through that it's it's um, correct. But the amount of money that this government has wasted on consultancy, the amount of money that goes out to pay for um, paperwork exercises that make us look good, But do not actually achieve anything for the actual people of New Zealand Uh, vanity projects um and it's just just uh, the idea of keeping things local because local people know what's going on um central government just just uh, words they just create words Mm. they produce words and they just they don't really listen to the to the people in the provinces
1: to use the cultural and cultural parlance, um, there are two things that this government excel at. One is virtue signalling, so I think that's what the term you're looking for, and yeah. the other one is gaslighting, which is what you described before, which is a reality when everybody knows in reality that something is deeply wrong, And yet you were told again and again and again that that is no longer the case. I mean, Ginny Anderson last week, I mean, that was a dog's breakfast coming out again about those crime stats and claiming that it's that perception that uh, Nash was talking about. Oh, no, it's only there because there's an app now. So people are reporting more crime.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's it is just it's farcical. Consultants, let's talk about consultants because of course, the new labor candidate is he not from the consultancy world
0: slightly slightly um um confused as to, to what he he does do, but it sounds like he's some form of consultant consultant who goes into the big firms and is a problem solver for them i'm I'm not entirely sure i it's um he could be a transponder if you go back to friends i don't I don't quite know. What what he does, but it sounds like he is a bit of a, a fixer.
1: Mm. Uh, I just I mean, sort of couldn't help feeling that uh, he. I mean, look, I do not know the man, so I, he's probably a very nice chap. But uh, I, on paper, I just looked at it and thought, excellent, a Nash clone. They obviously think Napier uh, has a type.
0: Um, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, and, and then you look at. Uh, I was I went down to Christchurch last uh, weekend and met with a couple of candidates from the Christchurch electorates. And when you start looking at the, the breadth of, of, of knowledge through those guys one of them really into his is um e- economics and was starting to, to to give me all sorts of facts about the economy he's looking into we've got farmers lawyer doctor dentist um you start looking at the, the breadth of, of depth of, of of people with so you you're less likely to need this, this consultancy and and fix it guys who can you know schmooze between adminers and and the government but you actually need people who people who've got ideas and a knowledge base that can push us forwards and actually give good ideas without having to pay for outside consultants to come in and, and give us the give us the facts.
1: Mm. Let's local. Right. Getting back to being local. And I think you brought that up just before in terms of communities and the importance of communities we have a situation in napier where and the Greater hawkes bay region is that unlike um some areas such as auckland where they went into a super city type council uh in hawkes bay we do not have that we have uh, multiple councils of which i think now napier your the electorate only does cover that one council is that correct oh i do actually technically because i guess the regional council would fall under that purview as well wouldn't
0: it um so- uh, Napier the, City the, Council. The Na- in, yeah, Napier City Regional. Council is um, the city city of Napier itself. Then you've got Hastings that goes around the outside, and then you got uh, is is independent as well. Mm. But so so when you've got Hastings District overlap over arches, and that's why it sweeps round and includes Pakapai and then comes down into Esk Valley.
1: So, so does that, that fall local. into some of that Napier electorate zone?
0: which bit the esk valley
1: the electorate zone so some of oh, um, the
0: electorate. See the, the, the national electorate yeah is from the tutai kuri yeah and then takes in Eskdale, the farmland keep on going up the um, Wairoa road until you get up to Wairoa.
1: right so then the you're actually dealing with three councils Hawke, hastings yes. Region, hastings yeah.
0: yeah so you then and this has been the problem with the, with the cleanup because you find that there's a division of a road or a, a river and the councils say, "Oh, well, that's not our responsibility. That's the other council's responsibility." And then the other council goes, "Oh, well, we we can't do that because that that overlaps. You know, that's that goes up to that border there." And so it's, um, it's so
1: you get back to bureaucratic dysfunction oh, yes. and decision making, and we're making a full loop to where yeah. we started.
0: Yeah, you know, and and I look I look at Napier itself, um, and I think I believe that Napier, just the Napier one, was 130 houses, 130 residences. So, you're looking at the the regional council is looking at more than 1,200. So, for 130 in Napier, they're saying, Oh, we're working so hard. And I don't like to just put people down and say, but it is just words. Because we went to see a property out in um, Awatoto. They were clearing and tidying up. They had got a huge mess to clear up. And they were taking it out on a big truck. And the council, they'd got in contact with the council, and the council had said, Yes. Dump your stuff. Here's the spot you can do. Drop it there and it will be collected eventually. So, yes, get it to a collection point. So, they were doing that. Well, apparently, they had three further council members or council workers come back. One passed. What the hell do you think you're doing? Well, we've been told we put it. There. No, you're not. That's not correct. He said, Well, we've been told that by the council. So, we're doing it that same day two more council people stopped and said what are you doing so rather than being there to help and say we're here to ease the situation they were actually just sort of sticking their oar in and saying you, you're not supposed to be doing this you're not allowed to do this yet they'd been told and given that go ahead by someone at council that that's exactly what they should be doing yeah. and then you're told the council is they're working my all the workers are working so hard they're they're pulling their fingers out um I read a comment, someone said, well, it's great that these people are pulling their finger out and going back to a warm, dry house of an evening that hasn't been affected, and they're sticking their noses in where people are living in houses, which they're pulling the jib off. They're trying to dry, they're, they're trying to get the house clean, they're living in their sheds next door for security, so they're actually on site. So they're, they're, they're pushing, putting their, their efforts into looking at their houses, and yet they're being told this different stories by people coming from the council who should be there to help them. And, and literally, if, if Napier's got 130 residences, you'd have thought they'd have got a long way down that path of, of resolution by this point.
1: Mm. And certainly in Awotaurau, I mean, they only got power restored two weeks ago. They were pretty much two months without power.
0: Absolutely. Ridiculous. And
1: that, and, and that neighbourhood, again, is literally right on the, the fringe of the city. So from CBD via car out to Awotaurau is, is pretty much five minutes of that. Yeah. So we're not talking somewhere that's... Uh, no. away from the the main city this is probably the area closest to the city that was is that
0: it was affected visually so so that's right and, and they're basically really they've been ignored their if I can say their problem was they didn't have a a single voice mm. you know they've got people living in properties who'd been moved out so they didn't have a single voice they did have a meeting um a couple of weeks ago that I attended where the council came and talked to people from Brookfield's Miani, Awatoto. There were quite a few people there who were at the end of their tether, particularly an old gentleman, an elderly gentleman who was almost in tears by the time he stood up and then he walked away. He had to walk out of the meeting because he said he was just, he wanted to move back to his house, but he was nowhere near being able to do that. Um uh, they're, 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 they're forgotten people because, you know, Esk Valley was very, and Pookies have been very good at getting their community hubs and working together. And they've done really well. But poor old Awatoto just was with, with a how how sparse the population is down there they hadn't got that single voice and nobody seemed to be listening to them and the council dare i say it somewhat dismissive it's like oh well it does it does seem to come across as that because they were just left they're still you know living in in their outhouse at the moment waiting i think they're getting builders in soon but as you say we're three months down the line and there's still that the house is not dry and we're now heading into winter Mm. there's going to be problems.
1: There is going to be problems and the mental health issues are just going to exacerbate, I think, as time goes on. So what message, let's wrap this up, so what message would you have for uh, both local governance here in Hawke's Bay and also to central government if you've got a single message for them of what is needed straight away across this winter until the election, what would it be?
0: Make some decisions and and get people in into better accommodation um and give people some sort of end point um stop stop fudging the figures and stop saying we're working really hard work hard get people out there talking to people and and keep them informed because they need to know where they're going and how they're going to get out of this mess
1: Well, on that, thank you so much, Martin, for giving me your time this morning. I really do appreciate it. I'm talking to Martin Lankford, Democracy New Zealand candidate for Napier. Actually, Martin, where can people find you if they want to reach out?
0: Uh, My contact details will be on the uh, Democracy New Zealand webpage. Um, and That's probably one of the easiest things to do, to go online and and find me there. Um, I've also got a I've got a sign written car with details all over it as well for the, the, the local people. Um, but o- online is probably the easiest because it gives all the information.
1: Brilliant. And also the most important thing to remember, everybody is regardless of what you do on April um, October 14, re- you've got to get out and vote because it, I think this election is going to be one of these pivotal elections that we haven't seen in this country for quite some time. So, Martin, thank you very, very much. Don't disappear though, stay tuned here on Reality Check Radio We've got more great conversation and some more excellent music With me, Marie, here on Counterculture
0: This is Counterculture with Marie Busky Wednesdays at 10am on Reality Check Radio